So hello and welcome to what I think is episode 9 of IDcast. Uh, my name is Brad and I am an industrial design recruiter. Um, thankfully though I'm, I'm always joined by two designers and um, today we are chatting about the future of travel. Um, ironically, whilst we recorded this a few weeks ago, I think this is probably going to go out after the whole Spain travel ban stuff. Um, but um, yeah, we're joined by Sam Blank, and Sam Blank is the design director for um, Buzz Products over in Melbourne. So our first kind of overseas guest, which is great and a sign of growth, I suppose. Um, we've gone down under, um, and if you ever turn left on a plane, you'll probably know who Buzz Products are and what they do. Some really kind of awesome collaborations with some kind of high-end brands there. Um, we chat to Sam a little bit about what's happening within travel. Will we ever travel again? Um, and also a little bit about Working in Australia is a common move that so many of you will want or desire at some point in your career. Um, so we chat a little bit how that all works um, and hopefully give you some insight around that. So by all means, if you are still listening, um, please do get in touch. Um, you can track us down on Instagram, which is We Speak Design Truth, or our website, which is www.designtruth.co.uk. Thank you. Yeah, thank, thanks for thanks for coming on, Sam. So if you could just quickly introduce yourself and what you do, and yeah, who you work for, etc. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm Sam Blank. I'm a uh, design director at Buzz Products um, out here in Melbourne, in Australia. And uh, yeah, I've been here in in Oz for eleven years, um, and I've been at Buzz for six of those. So um, yeah, it's been it's been a great journey for me, and I think what we do at that buzz is pretty exciting, pretty interesting um, in terms of the, the design field. Um, it's pretty interesting right now just because we're in the travel sector um, heavily and obviously, um, you know, it's been pretty hard hit. So um, some interesting challenges to, to discuss with you guys, I'm sure. Hmm. Is it exciting challenges or is it kind of um, daunting and kind of, Beer after straight after work kind of challenges. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I'm, not, I'm not going to work, so you know you oh, can okay. have a beer whatever you want. Um, yeah. which is one benefit of working from home. But um, yeah, it, it is daunting, and I think the industry, um, I mean, the sort of the airline industry, really the travel industry as a whole, is um, is facing these um, huge, huge issues and, and huge challenges uh, that will. It will continue for the next two to three years at, at least. Um, but, you know, I think out of that, uh, like any sort of huge challenge like this, you, there's, there's design challenges there. There's, um, and you've got to find ways to be optimistic and hopefully opportunities to innovate, you know, and, and be creative um, to solve some, some meaningful problems. That's what we want. Yeah, it might sound sort of glib to, to, to just to jump on that. But yeah, when you get these like you know fresh problems, then fresh opportunities to do something exciting. Um, you know, as as you said, Bradley, that can be daunting in itself. Mm. Uh, I mean, there's there's excitement there, and that's kind of I, I mean I can't speak for you, Sam, but that's that's one of the things I really like about being a designer is um, it's like there'll be something fresh to to play with and to think about. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, we're problem solvers, right? So. Um... I never, we don't really sign up for problems of this magnitude very often, but, <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I think what we're doing at Buzz, you know, we're very focused on passenger experience um, and 
that means that we're going to have, uh, you know, we're going to look at what that means for the next, well, certainly for the next six to 12 months, um, you know, when this sort of industry starts to come back to life. Um, but I think more interestingly for me is how the passenger experience might change um, over the next two to five years, you know, sort of for the longer term. Um, everyone's talking about the lasting impact uh, of this pandemic. Um, there's a lot of forecast around what that might mean. But um, I think for me, it means, yeah, certainly opportunity to, um, to improve um, the passenger experience. So what kind of research work are you doing on that? Does that mean sort of hands-on getting involved, um, user studies, that kind of thing? It's a good question. I think, um, to be honest, at the moment, you know, the whole industry is still in quite a reactionary phase. Um, you know, we're trying to... The, 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 air, the airlines that are flying, that, ha- that are flying, you know, a certain number of planes and, and um, for whatever reason, um, you know, are, are trying to solve those immediate issues around hygiene, um, around uh, social distancing on an aircraft, which is kind of impossible. Um, and really just around trying to make passengers feel safe, you know, and I think a big part of what we're doing at Buzz at the moment is supporting our clients in that, you know, in those endeavors, you know, in terms of supplying whether that's supplying hygiene kits or, um, you know, instead of amenity kits, we're supplying sort of, you know, masks and, and sanitizers and, and that kind of thing. That's really the the immediate term. Um, you know, beyond that, I, I think it would be really interesting to get into some to some research. Um, uh, but yeah, we're not quite at that stage yet. I suppose you can't just jump on a flight, can you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I was wondering about it because I thought like, Obviously, it'd be great to be able to get in and observe the changing behaviours and um, and the, the new etiquette, so to speak. But it's going to be difficult just to get a space to go in and, and stand around and um, you know and, and have that, have that sort of mandate to go and observe uh, at, at, at the moment because of because of well the, mm. the new situation as you described. So just yeah, I wondered if that if that was something you were able to get on with yet, or whether it's just um, kind of listening to feedback a bit more um yeah in, in different ways uh yeah i mean right now it's it's a lot of guidance from from clients you know i think that's probably the, the reality um we do you know as we do pride ourselves on, on being thorough and, and and coming at you know solving real world problems um you know research plays a big part in that um it's something we've done in the past specifically in you know in the, in the kids space um you know, we, we try and hold focus groups with kids to make sure that we're designing entertaining packs um, for those guys, you know, on board. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's very challenging. How do you go in and, and observe or, or uh, gain those critical insights um, at the moment? It's very challenging. So hopefully we'll, we'll get those insights, you know, and we'll get them from our clients. Um, I think as the situation continues to evolve right now, airlines are all doing things a little bit differently um trying to solve these problems in, in slightly different ways um but you know ultimately all, all trying to achieve the same thing which is uh helping people to feel safe while they're traveling um, mm. i suppose the crux of it is that those airlines are still trying to work out the severity of the situation aren't they in terms of that long-term impact so until that's kind of ironed out in terms of how long it's going to be then it must be quite difficult to design against that yeah absolutely yeah it is um, I think when we, you know, when you look at the, the scope of the problem, um, you, you need to consider, you know, the, the two main aspects, really, when we talk about how we're going to um, get travel back, uh, you know, and start traveling again. The first is is legislative, you know, so that, that means 
um, that countries have to open their borders to one another again, um, have to be comfortable with, with people arriving in their country um, and really removing quarantine uh, laws. Um, I'm not saying that should be done, you know, haphazardly. And, and you know, obviously there's a, there's a responsibility there. Um, you know, it's not just about the, the economies we've got to consider, consider people's health. Um, but, you know, the sooner that, that countries manage to get their, their relevant um, and respective situations under control, then I think those borders can open and that can enable uh, travel. The second factor, which I think is more interesting to me, is, um, is around, you know, consumer confidence. Um, hmm. Will people travel? Yeah, will people travel? You know, it's all one and good saying they can. Um, how long will it be before people feel comfortable getting back uh, on an aircraft? Uh, I think that's the area where, personally, you know, I'm a designer, so that means I'm, a, I'm an optimist, right? I think as designers, we, we generally are. I'm probably more optimistic than, than many people who've spoken about this, this subject uh, in recent months, um, just because I, I believe in the sort of power of human resilience. You know, we've shown it so many times through, whether it's in the wake of um, you know, terrorism or natural disasters, you know, sort of people, people are inherently quite resilient and bounce back. Um, and I think that people will, will just want to travel again. I mean, you guys have just, uh, the UK, you've just sort of opened some travel, uh, travel bridges or with certain to our, to our European To our European friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm surprised they want you in, really. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, um, so, so, yeah, it's... Um, I do think, yeah, I do think, like, it, it will sort of happen because we were just talking um, just before you came on about how um, only last Monday in Wales, where I live, um, they finally um, got rid of the five mile rule, like travel rule. And you could totally tell like yesterday was the first Saturday and people were like the traffic was insane, you know, like from having three, four mm. months of reduced traffic to having such a high volume yesterday was quite astonishing. And I know, I mean, people can just drive to Wales, but I think it is an indication that people are sick of being mm. at home they want to see new environments. And I think, in my opinion, from seeing that yesterday, I, I think it will yeah. come. I just don't know when. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a real appetite Basically. for travel. You know, I think there's been definitely for many people, there's almost a, a mourning of the loss of, of travel. You know, people who. Yeah, definitely. Cancelled, have holidays cancelled. Um, and and definitely, you know, people are, are keen and eager to get back to that. So, um yeah, I, th I think people will, will surprise us in some ways once they can, that they'll embrace it. Um, and, you know, I think it's down to the airlines really and, and for us as a supplier in that industry to really um, support them in, in creating yeah, the, the safest experience possible uh, and considering all those consumer touch points, um, improving all those processes, but um, you're making it as safe as possible, but hopefully getting people feeling comfortable and traveling. Yeah. I think as well, like on a less sort of human-centered side but there's also the worries that people don't want to lose out on money like I can't tell you how many people I've spoke to that have said they've lost like hundreds thousands um on uh, holidays that they can't take because insurance uh, companies didn't sort of see this coming so they weren't um, covered for it mm. and I think once insurance companies will have that ironed out and this will be covered for I guess that will sort of ease people's minds as well on like to travel I guess yeah, absolutely. I mean, most airlines at the moment, I think this is quite a sweeping statement, but I think they're all, they're all sort of offering um, uh, 
uh, they want to, they want some confidence in people booking, so they're offering re- a refund, you know, pretty generous refund. Yeah. Um, in terms of you, know, you can't predict what's going to happen, so if you make a booking now, I think you're, you're kind of you're probably covered for for a while. But um, I think yeah, you're right. There was you know we had a trip booked actually. We, we did. We were lucky. We got we got our cash back. Um, but um, you know a lot of airlines did have to refund um, lots and lots of people, um, which didn't help their situation. Yeah. When did the scale of the challenge first hit you? When when did you think? shit, this is actually going to be really impact my job and, and my place of work. When, what, was there a moment when you kind of turned the news on or you saw a particular thing happen over the last couple of months where you thought, this is going to impact me and also impact me pretty long term as well? Mm. Um, yeah, I was, I was probably a little bit head in the sand, you know, around sort of February, you know, when it was sort of kicking off. Um, I think... You know, we entered lockdown in, in March, sort of mid-March um, here in, in Australia. And that was probably a time when, when I started to question it, yeah, around uh, how this would impact, you know, the airlines. And, and I think um, we probably started to see a few clients uh, with some worried, um, you know, whether we were seeing them or we were getting those messages um, uh, sort of along the grapevine that, that they were they were scared. And so... Um, yeah, it, it's kind of been a, it's kind of grown organically, I think, from from that point. And, and uh, as the weeks have passed, um, you've started to see the scope of the problem. Um, but I think now, I'm certainly not saying we're coming out of the other side of it. We're not. Um, you know, this will be a damaging thing to the industry for the next, you know, two to five years. Is kind of the, the general predictions for most people. But um, but we are seeing um, airlines in the sky, and that that is far better than what we've had for the last four months so um you know you've got to take those little uh take those little wins yeah you've got to take those wins when they, when they crop up yeah mm. if you ever been in similar kind of environments drew where you've worked on a particular in a particular space and that all of a sudden it's kind of gone up turned upon its head how, how do you react to that as a designer when you're kind of doing something and obviously it's at a profitable area and all of a sudden overnight it's not so it's yeah. not so profitable how do you how do you I mean, react to something like that i'll, I'll be honest that hasn't actually happened happened. to me in my career no. i'm more sort of the opposite to be honest yeah. um we've tried to and i'll well, clarify that um we, more often in the position whereby you're trying to solve the sort of the root of a problem so most of my career has been in medical devices so if i'm making something that's a disposable um a disposable device that treats a symptom we're more trying to get to a point where we remove the problem altogether so that you actually undermine the whole business case for the thing that you're making um and that's that's been my goal more often um it's very difficult to convince a company to to go along with that um even even so far as to create ip around that but those are the kind of things like um i don't know there's this sort of I don't know if it's an urban myth or whether it's real or not. Um, I'm sure it'd be easy to, to solve uh, around uh, genetically modified grass that only grows to a certain height. Um, and that the pattern for that is owned by someone like Flymo uh, because it completely disrupts the whole lawnmower industry. So if you only have grass that, 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 that stops short and then never needs to be, to be cut, then that's perfect, right? But then you don't need lawnmowers, so you need to own your own disruption. Unfortunately, mm. with things like this, it's a roll of the dice that comes out of nowhere, 
I mean, I don't know. I've heard, again, so many uh, urban myths about how coronavirus, uh, yeah, how COVID sort of uh, came to be this pandemic, like whether it was something to do with somebody eating or doing other stuff to bats in a, in a jungle or whether it's to do with <laughs> 5G towers. You know, there's all these different ideas, but basically it's just sort of essentially come out of nowhere. Um, it's very difficult to to, um, to design ahead of the game for those sort of things. Yeah. Yeah. I think what's been, you know, for the industry, the airline industry in particular, um, you know, there's no doubt about it. it. It was really air travel that, that carried this thing around the world, you know. Um, we, so, so the industry, you know, through no fault of its own, really, um, you know, unwittingly spread this thing um, as an industry, and and I think that was sort of damaging to some degree. You know, I remember in the early stages of the pandemic, you know, it was sort of the flights where uh, a positive case that had been, you know, people found out there'd been some positive case on there uh, were being, um, you know, broadcast and, and on on websites, on airline websites, if you were on this flight. You know, and you're sitting in these rows, you know, you need to get yourself tested, that kind of thing. So that kind of sort of almost fear that and that spread through um, through travellers and through travel. Um, yeah, that was kind of damaging, I think, for the industry in the initial stages. Mm. So going forward then, because let's be optimistic, what, what does the future of travel look like? There's this amazing vaccine. It's great. There's no side effects. We all want to go on holiday again. What's it going to look like? Are we going to? Is it going to be kind of hand sanitising at every every five minutes, or is there going to be is there going to be this kind of um, just this all singing all dancing kind of solution to it all, um, or is it just a case of unfortunately you might just have to sit in a hotel for two weeks after you <laughs> land somewhere and and hope that you you don't have a fever at the end of it? Is it, is it what's the kind I mean, of... no, I mean obviously, yeah, that's you know. Quarantine uh, holidays are not not really that sustainable for anybody, um, but I think again it's the short term, long term right, assessment. So you know, right now um, the measures that are in place right now will will be will be short term to some degree. So when you look at the if you go on any airline's website now, they're they're all telling you how they're going to keep you safe on board, um, and for the most part, that is you know all ma- all cabin crew wearing masks. Um, you know, the obviously staggered boarding, new new, um, new boarding processes. Um, some, I think, some airlines have have crew in kind of full hygiene suits, um, almost. Uh, you know, sort of hand sanitizer on demand. Yeah, every this kind of stuff. Um, I think the other thing is things like return to package food. We've seen that as well uh, in terms of people wanting to feel that their food is not contaminated. Um, definitely, those things are. I think are quite reactionary and um, I, I do think that they will start to fade in time you know now whether that's sort of 12 months away I can't I can't really say I think what for the longer term you know I think what I would probably predict is that some of those um, some of those processes and, and methods that, that are currently being introduced will remain and, and whether that means temperature uh, sensors airports um, you know, I think that's that's very doable, and um, we're seeing airports starting to integrate that technology now. It might mean that that, that stays in place, so every time you fly, you have your, your temperature checked, um, because that's kind of easy. The technology exists; it just needs to be to be put in place. 
Um, I think, you know, you're probably going to see masks disappear eventually from, from crew. I don't think it's really great hospitality to see your cabin crew with their face covered. Um, at the moment, it feels like the right thing, but um, it, it's not really a very good human connection. So I think eventually masks will start to, will start to fade out, but you might see things like uh, hygiene gloves uh, remain in place, you know, um, for, for crew on board. So um, I think definitely certain things will remain. Um, I think the other thing probably to talk about is overall, probably the concept of wellness, uh, passenger wellness, um, including sort of mindfulness and, and mental health. I think that will be a sort of macro trend to emerge out of um, out of this this period. Um, so making sure that people, yes, feel feel safe, but also feel um, at peace and and uh, able to <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. Uh, <laughs> Those are the sort of things that, that I would say you'll see. Um, you know, I've, I've read a few things that, about the impact of, of 9-11 on air travel and, um, you know, the security measures that are in place uh, now, you know, when you travel, you know, many of those sort of came into, into effect after 9-11 and, and have stayed in place. So, um, you know, that was an industry-changing event. Um, I think this will be as well to some degree and... and um, Rather than being security focused, they'll be uh, sort of hygiene focused, you know, and, and safety focused. So, yeah, I mean, I sort of just picture how much of a drag going through an airport is now, right? Um, you know, the sort of the, the hour long queue through the uh, mm. to get through security. I mean, Manchester Airport's the the worst one that I've been to, at least um, for that. I just think, but. Add that to, or add to that, uh, distancing and uh, you know responsible levels of, of uh, sanitizing and stuff. Oh mate, it's going to take hours. It's going to be an hour. It's, it's not so much the, the plane journey itself, is it? I mean, I was I went travelling last year, so I kind of I, I know what you mean in terms of that passenger experience. It, it's like some security person I went to some places and they're, they're holding guns and stuff they can have a gun in one hand and hand, and hand sanitizer in the other you know it's not a, it's it's it is it's not a great experience um a super soaker yeah <laughs> so, um it's not so much just the, the flight bit but it's also the the bit getting onto the flight that whole two hour three four hour journey is bus involved in that or is that mainly an airline um, kind of in-house thing that they have to all kind of experience or user experience they have to um, to work we, Yeah, we're not so much involved. Uh, you know, our, our real focus generally it's is the, it's on, on board products. But we yeah. do, occasionally we, we venture into sort of lounge, you know, um, sort of business class, first class lounge products, um, whether that be in the bathrooms or, or um, other areas of the lounge. So, we have a little bit of that that pre-travel thing, and we and we always talk about um, the full travel experience. So it's absolutely kind of within our uh, within our remit in terms of our design thinking. Um, how much we can actually influence in that space sort of remains to be seen. No, I was just going to say it's an interesting one to sort of extend that product or that user journey right from um, you know from when you're. I, I, I get it doesn't happen now, uh, but your tickets used to be delivered to your home, and then you'd you'd have to bring a load of stuff mm. to the airport. I mean, there may be a case where maybe not the same things, maybe not the tickets uh, are sent to your door, but um, you know a goodwill package from the airline 
that's uh, you know, you're you're prepared and safe now and ready for the airport and for the the whole travel door to door experience. Um, I don't know. Sorry, I, I I didn't mean to interrupt. No, that's right. I was just going to say um, I think you know through this this period and it is going to be um, a tricky one, but with lower passenger numbers, th- there's definitely opportunities for airlines to to try things and. It is so hard for for airlines to change processes. Generally, it's very hard in terms of legislation, and um, you know, especially if you've got tens of thousands of passengers traveling every day, um, just to, to change process, it's just a major headache. So, um, but this gives them that opportunity to do that, and they can be more agile through this period. So, um, I think what you're talking about in terms of the the whole travel journey and uh, booking and, and checking in and bag bag drop. We will probably see some improvements there. Um, I think you're probably likely to see everything become a bit more automated, you know, really wanting to limit human contact. Now, the industry was going that way anyway, actually, before all this kicked off. Um, and that was uh, that was economically driven. That, that was not um, anything to do with hygiene or, or safety. Um, but, you know, the, the fact is there's been companies in the background working on these automated systems Um for quite a, a long time now, and, and they're probably very close to, to completion in a lot of cases. So I do think we'll see in the next few months um, that kind of journey uh, improve in terms of systems and because um, yeah, it's, it's really down to technology uh, and the improvements in technology. More of a, more of a tech-driven approach um, yeah. to the experience. Which, which... You know, could be good for the long term. You know, yeah. that, That's not the worst yeah. thing uh, to come out of. <laughs> yeah, and certainly from a designer's point of view, that's a really... You know, that's a really exciting opportunity as well because you know, that's going to that that whole experience uh, that's delivered by a machine or a screen needs to be thought through and needs to be human centered because anybody needs to be able to turn up whether you're tech savvy or not whether you know the jargon of the travel industry or not um, and you know even just speaking for myself when I've come up against some of those uh, systems before that can be uh, yeah, that can be a challenge. Um, they're not always well thought through. Um, they're not always well presented. So, you know, it's a good, again, human-centered design opportunity there. Definitely. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. One of the best parts of the job, so must be some of the collaborations you, you must get involved in, um, in terms of the yeah, brands that you work with. Yeah, I think the industry is kind of unique in that way. Um, you know, a big part of what we do is is build these um, collaborations between uh, our airline partners and, and um, our brand partners and often luxury brands or, or high-end design brands. Um, so, you know, we really sit in the middle of those relationships and, and sort of, uh, you know, bring these things to life. So it, it's quite exciting, some of the partners we work with and, and the projects you know, that we've been involved in. Uh, all of the ones you've done with, um, like for kids, like I saw you did... Um... Like a collaboration with um, like Disney and stuff. I bet they're they're really fun to work on. Yeah, that's right. We've got a really talented uh, kids team at Buzz. Um, it's been a part of the uh, the business for a long time. It's actually kind of where the business started was in in sort of toys before we entered the the travel sector. So they've got a rich history in um, in kids products. Um, and yeah, those relationships with with the likes of Disney and those uh, sort of licensed or partners um, have been pretty long standing. Um, yeah, and the, the kids team that we have is really passionate and sort of dedicated to that area. That, you know, that so I, I kind of lead the, the kids team and, and oversee that. But, um, you know, we've got some real, real passionate, dedicated uh, designers in that space. 
Yeah. Any favourite collaborations? Any? Are you like, any 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 discounts that you get that, that's particularly helpful <laughs> or not so much? Uh, I mean, the you know the kind of um, the feather in my in my personal cap um, was the Alessi for Delta project, um, which has been on board since sort of twenty seventeen now, um, and you know obviously as an, as an industrial designer, um, partnering with Alessi was. You know, great it's kind of what, what you dream of you know those to work with such a high-end italian um brand um and to do that for delta for for one of the world's biggest airlines was um was huge you know and, and we actually in the initial stages there was a lot of discussion about whether that was right you know that partnership of a, a high-end italian uh homewares brand really with um with a big american carrier but i think um you know the team we just did an, an amazing job the, the buzz team but also um you know the journey we went on with the client um, to get there. They all came on board, and I think the product suite, uh, yeah, was pretty pretty amazing at the end of it. Um, what were the kind of uh, I don't know? Um, yeah, what were the kind of products first of all that that, that were in that? So that's um, that's a meal service uh, suite. So that's um, a set of serviceware products, which is any you know all the ceramics, uh, glassware, steel cutlery, plastic. Um, bowls, you know, it's kind of all that. And, and also sort of stainless steel servingware items. Um, so, you know, that was quite bold in that they went, we went for the whole thing. We actually, we did a hard cut over um, with about 86 products um, launching uh, on one day. So, um, yeah, it was, it was a huge undertaking, but it was, a, it was kind of a landmark project uh, for the yeah. business. So are there any kind of, um, like pivotal bits of the work there in in that kind of project where you thought right we this this is going the right way now like you said at first there was some discussion about whether it was even the right fit but at some point that must have turned around and you must have gone yeah okay this is this is it yeah I mean I, well actually I can yes uh, pinpoint a, it was a, it was a meeting it was a, you know it was a critical meeting where we had um, with with the client in um, with, with Delta. And um, over there in the US, and we had uh, Alessi, some of the Alessi team with us. And we kind of, by this time, we'd, I'm not sure if we'd won the job or not at this point, actually, but we, we were showcasing the product suite that we'd sort of collaborated on and designed with them. Um, and they, had, they brought in um, the chefs and, and actually put food into the products and, um, and, you know, brought them to life, really, for the, for the first time. And I think the, the impact of that process on the people in the room that day just made everybody sort of think, yeah, this is, this is something pretty special. This is an industry first. Um, you know, we have to do this. This is going to be amazing. So that was, for me, that was the moment uh, when it all sort of came to life. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm the, uh, I don't know about you guys, but I'm the, the kind of the, the six foot two lanky guy that's stuck on an economy seat at the back kind of sandwiched in. So um, it's sometimes a very different kind of experience for, for, for me on a, on, on a, on a flight. How, out of interest, when you work on that kind of on, kind of onboard kind of system, it's very different when you turn left and turn right on a plane. Um, how, is it something that, I don't know. Is it something that you frequently do in terms of traveling, kind of first class? How how does it? Because it's just some. It always seems like a 
for me anyway, it's like it's different kind of world when you turn into a different way on a on a plane. Um, I'd imagine it must be his most amazing experience, but when it's not something I've kind of personally been through, so I can't kind of completely envision it. But how, how, is it something that, as a designer, is it quite? I don't know. You just, how do you kind of design against something that maybe you personally haven't experienced? Yeah, I mean, that's, where it's valid point. I, I think um, yeah. the reality is, you know, in, including myself and, and the design team none of us really fly, uh, you know, business class and first class frequently. Um, you know, it's, uh, but we are designing for that, for that space every day, you know, and that's actually the, the main focus of a lot of our work at Burt's is in, in those premium cabins. Um, so yeah, you have to understand the consumer, you know, like anything, um, whether that's medical devices or, or any, um, you know, any sector of, of industrial design really is, is the heart of it is understanding your, your end user you know, empathizing with them and um, understanding the insights and, and the kind of needs of, that they have. And I think, um, yeah, when you've been working in there a, a few years, you start to get um, a good feel for that, for who that passenger is. Um, and, and the other thing to say is, you know, with, yes, the business class uh, or the, the business class cabin is a, is a very different environment to the economy cabin. Um, but it also varies around the world, you know, depending on the uh, the region and depending on the, the airline. So, you know, the business class cabin for Delta, for example, is, is very different to the business class cabin for Emirates or Etihad or Qatar. So, um, you know, you have to understand the regional differences as well. Um, it's not just about the, the demographic in terms of the, um, you know, the, the amount of money they have. It's, it's really about where they're flying from. Yeah. Yeah. So within that demographic as well, you've probably got on any given flight someone who's experiencing that for the first time and is just super excited by it, by everything. Yeah. Yeah. Some are like, that's their expectation. I'm not getting on a flight unless the guy takes my jacket and brings me a drink straight away. You know, I'm just not doing it. Um, I I remember the first time I went business class uh, with work and I just, there were so many things I just didn't know. Uh, were part like part of the service and were included. So I still kind of kept myself very much in my um, in my budget airline set of uh, set of knowledge and experience. That would um, be me as well. Yeah, it's like, wait, champagne's available for me? No, no, no. no. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah. Just play, um, it, always play cool, you know. <laughs> act like you're comfortable there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you're right. There's, there's always a. Um, and I think just to talk about demographic of the business class uh, cabin again, and I guess the impact of this uh, pandemic on that. I think um, it's going to be interesting to see how this how this evolves and in, um, in the next couple of years because it you know the business class cabin has been evolving anyway. It, it has been evolving, I should say. Um, but I think this will have changed a few things. You know, you've got, you're going to have uh, people working from home for the last four months, five months, six months, um, businesses adapting to that, you know. So businesses that used to send their employees uh, on a $10,000 return trip um, it might be a bit more hesitant to do that in the current climate um, and might not feel it's necessary anymore now with these kind of digital ways of working so normalised. Um, so you might see a dip in those those kind of traditional business class travellers. Um, the other sort of demographic we talk about a little bit is the what I call the the bucket list boomers, which is the sort of retirees who who are a bit, um, you know, ha- have that disposable income and um, and want to see the world and experience new things. You know, the the kids have flown the nest, so they can go and do that. 
Um, and they've been a real major player in, in business class travel for, um, for a number of years now. But they're also the highest risk uh, category in terms of the coronavirus. So, you know, how comfortable will um, 65, 70 plus year olds feel traveling um, in the next couple of years? Um, so, you know, you might see those numbers drop off as well. Yeah, and we're not just talking about flights here, you know, cruises, um, rail, you know, this is not just in one part of, you know, it's not just an airline issue, is it? It's across the different um, different Absolutely. facets of travel. Yeah. No, sorry, I was just going to kind of ask um, uh, many some stuff about sustainability because I imagine that must be something that um, is another big factor of, of, of the future is, um, I suppose, COVID is just going to, like like we say, it's just going to accelerate these kind of things. But um, um, that must be another big kind of contemplation point, should we say, for for you designers at the minute is um, how do you design around sustainability, particularly for things like on board? You know, it's very disposable, isn't it? You know, you can imagine lots of lots of those things ending up into you know, into the ocean. So, you know, how, how, how's that process been over the last few years and, and that shift of mentality? I think um, before we talk about, you know, the current situation, I would say that the going into this crisis, you know, over the last two years, really, um, the, there's been a huge swing in the industry in, in terms of onboard product towards more sustainable products and sustainable solutions. And that's been, um, that's been great to see. And, and, and you know, I think supply partners such as Buzz and, and our competitors can, can take a little bit of credit for that because we've been driving these sustainable solutions for a number of years. Um, you know, they've always been, I think it's a, kind of our responsibility as a designer to always put forward sustainable solutions, sustainable options. Um, and you kind of try and sway the, the customer towards those as best you can. But, you know, it's always about, it always comes down to price or it, it previously has always come down to price. And, um, you know, it's always been a very tough sell if that sustainable option has not been price competitive. Probably until the last, yeah, like I say, two years or 18 months, I think we've started to see, or I had started to see airlines choose sustainable options that were a little bit more expensive um, than the alternative. Um, And I think that's been driven by consumer demand. You know, this switch um, in in consumer expectation that, you know, they don't want single-use plastics anymore. You know, it, it, it really has become, um, you know, a, a dirty word, you know, the, the single-use plastic. So um, that was that was a real trajectory that was that we were seeing. Um, unfortunately, I think what we will see in the immediate future um, due to the pandemic is, is actually a return to some less sustainable options um, purely because there's almost nothing more hygienic than, than a, a poly bag wrap, you know, a, a kind of, it's the most hygienic thing you can do with the product. Um, and that's, uh, that's unfortunate. And also, of course, the economic challenges means that airlines will sway towards the cheaper options. Um, but I really hope that in the long, you know, kind of the medium term, we can get back to, um, to seeing that, uh, that continuation of sustainable design happening in the onboard product space. Yeah. You can see that, you know, how you said, um, with the pandemic um there is more use of like single-use plastics because you can see i don't know about you guys but when i go for walks and stuff you see you see a mask you see a wipe you see gloves and it's just it's such a step back isn't it Mm. i mean i understand that 
they are in need at the moment, but it just feels like such a step back for sustainability in general. The thing on that note that's really surprised me is the aftermath. If there's been a sunny day here, um, so I live near like two or three parks and then there's the riverside. And if we go for a walk with the girls, like after dinner, there's just litter everywhere. There's just trash. It's, yeah. it's yeah. infuriating. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. It, 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 it blows my mind. I don't know how that mindset has changed so quickly and so, uh, like, just so hard as well. Yeah. Um, like, cans of bottles just left around the place. Like, that, that's, that, should, that should have nothing to do with this at all. You should still be able to take your shit home with you. You know, you brought it here. Anyway, I'm going to get a little off track there, but I do think that, that, like, that one of the things that I would like to see come out of this is a shift to social responsibility, not just for spacing, yeah. wearing masks, but like turn up to a busy place with all your own gear. Uh, and as you said, Sam, like yes, there's there's um, there will be an obligation for some places to provide disposable um, options, but I do think you should just have your own mask, and if that's got a replaceable element to it, fine. If it's washable, even better. Um, but you know, some of this is on is on us. As, uh, as individuals as well um, and I do think that, that etiquette and that behaviour and that cultural shift we, we, we owe it to ourselves and each other to, to, to take that on um, What about do you think about the designer's responsibility in, in that or in this kind of challenge? Well to be able to provide that I mean you know something that is uh, genuinely sustainable and genuinely does provide that opportunity for uh, a safe and responsible way of going out and just living your life with the same amount of freedom as you wanted to have before. I think so much of, of uh, your sense of freedom is, is is as important as the genuine freedom. You know, so if you it, yes, you're allowed to go travelling. Yes, you're allowed to go out to the park. Well, right now I don't really feel like I want to do that because there's people going around breathing on everybody. Um, it's, it's just not cool. Um, it's about risk, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. I want to see how places are mitigating risk. I want to see uh, not only how welcome am I, but how safe is it for me to go somewhere. Um, and if I'm going to take my girls, then I really need to know that everything is cool. Um, yeah. Because, you know, they're like five and seven years old. They're not, they're not aware, they're not um, street smart enough to know that people are going to move in weird ways. You know, people are not sheep or birds. They do weird stuff um, and make their own decisions in the spur of the moment. So uh, like it's, it's it's very challenging. I think but for, for designers, uh, there's loads of opportunities there, ways to communicate your uh, level of comfort in a situation, uh, ways to provide an extra layer of, uh, of defense or armory, but in a... Um, not so like an aggressive, defensive way, more in, in a, just, you know, I need protection from the cold and from the crowd. Hmm. Yeah. There's, there's, no, there's no doubt in my mind, when we look at like um, 2008-9, last recession, likes of Uber and Airbnb set up, there's no doubt in my mind that there is some clever person working on the next generation of face masks right now that are going to be completely sustainable. And this is the next billion dollar company. It's just we just need to wait, unfortunately, because it's almost been a bit of an afterthought for us in terms of um, 
you know, things like masks and PPE, it's never really crossed our mind because we've never gone through a pandemic before. Um, and a designer will be at the heart of that next billion dollar company. I'm pretty sure of that. Um, just um, make sure that you've got a sustainable bone in your body um, whilst, whilst you're uh, coming up with that. But um, yeah, I, I, that's my personal belief anyway, that over the next 12, 18 months, you're just going to see products enter that market space um, that are just going to com- be completely different to what we've known because it's just never really crossed our mind in terms of public health and hygiene. And I'd, uh, you know, if I think about the last five, six years of recruitment of portfolios and stuff I've seen, I've never seen anything that's been remotely thought about in terms of hygiene. And it's just never crossed anyone's mind, I don't think. But now it's firmly on everyone's mind. So I don't see any doubt that there's going to be this useful face mask that's going to be you know, if we can't find a vaccine then i'm pretty sure we can club together and and, and um, minimize risk through through great product like that i don't yeah, know I if you... a vaccine is only going to treat one thing for a while mm. uh, whereas you know like responsible ppe um oh god it sounds weird to even describe it in that sort of way, but, you know, the right kind of kit for when you're going out and about will you know will reduce the effects and the spread of not only this one but the next one and the and the hundred more after that um again going back to sort of airlines and the operational thing i, I think um a huge challenge for for airlines over the last de- couple of decades really but certainly during my time in the industry um around sustainability has been operational so um, at the end of the flight, um, in a lot of areas of the world, there's legislation around uh, incinerating product, um, which kind of kills off the uh, the opportunity to recycle product. Um, you know, and, and in a lot of in a lot of areas, they just find it with that volume of product incredibly hard to put any recycling programs in place. So, um, I think again, this opportunity there's opportunities in the current situation where with lower passenger numbers, um, of course, you know, they have to. We have to get airlines in a operational economic position for them to think about changing the, these processes. But um, certainly, if, if things are going to be changed, uh, sort of now's the time. You know, in that, the next uh, six to twelve months. Um, and so, you know, I think at Buzz, that's one of our responsibilities is to really assist our clients in um, in being more sustainable through this. Uh, and whether that's in um, helping them think about their processes as well as uh, designing and, and providing their product. Um, you know, I think that's all part of it, really. Mm. When you talk about lower passenger numbers, could it be a case of people being priced out of get, going on flights? Or because tourism is, you know, I think, was it Spain or something? It's like 20% of GDP or something like that. You know, yeah. is it going to go the other way? Or actually, they want to want to get you on that flight because... Uh, of the, the the knock-on impacts of that you know people are going to dine in the restaurants and you know they're going to go to all the tourist hotspots and type thing is that a fear or an excitement for you as a designer within airlines that are people going to get priced out or are more people actually going to be encouraged to get on um get on flights um because of the impact it has to other industry spaces so i think um there's been a few articles written about this and um I'm, I'm sorry to disappoint, but I, unfortunately, I think you're not going to see heavily discounted flights um, in, the, in the next, you know, 12 to 18 months, um, purely because if airlines start to do that and if they're operating at sort of half load capacity, you know, um, then and they're already they've already grounded half their fleet, you know, so Qantas, for example, 
um, have 126 aircraft and they've they've said they're going to ground 100 of those for the next 12 months. So they're operating with just 26 aircraft, right, for, um, for everything. So if you imagine that then you say, well, those aircrafts are also maybe 60 or 70% full instead of full, um, there's really no room for, for offering discount flights. Having said that, I think what, an area that you might see, maybe this might be the first time, Emma, for you to, uh, if you can get the, get the cash together, you might possibly see some, um, some deals come through on business class. And the reason for that is that um, business class cabins really drive a whole huge amount of um, revenue for, uh, for airlines. And so they're going to be massively competitive in that space among, between each other. Um, now, they don't want to slash their prices, really, um, but it's probably better to have a full business class cabin uh, at a 10% reduction than it is um, to have you know, a 70% full economy uh, at, a, at a 10% increase, for example. So they might start to look at those economic models and say, well, this is, this is more important. Um, the other thing that, that I was going to suggest was um, what we might see is, is uh, opportunity to upgrade, um, sort of become, uh, upgrade in different ways, become more commonplace. So, uh, in the economy cabins, if you don't want to sit next to somebody, um, there's always the opportunity that airlines could um, could split the cost of that middle seat, you know, between the two passengers either side. So, so you pay an extra, you pay essentially half the cost of, of that seat, um, and maybe it's sort of a, a sale rate. Um, now, if that seat was going to be empty anyway, because the aircraft's already operating at say seventy percent, but they've got thirty percent of their seats to fill, it's kind of a virtual filling of the seat. Um, and it also offers that consumer upgrade. So those are the kind of models I think airlines will be looking at, um, but they won't be looking at, at slashing the, the price of their flights dramatically. No, definitely not an economy. Yeah. So I'm not going to New Zealand next year then, is that what you're telling me? Well, I'm going back. Go by train. That's a shame. Go on a ferry or something like that. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. a shame. Just use your rule belt. <laughs> we might have to start a GoFundMe page. Get me back to that. So, I mean, I was I was wondering um, a little bit about um, more sort of isolated forms of travel and whether that's people taking road trips. Um, it's certainly conversations that we've had here uh, about driving places instead. So, like completely changing um, the expectations of a holiday, like destinations, how long it's going to take to get there. Um, rather than I'm not gonna, maybe I'm not going to fly to the south of Italy or something like that. Maybe I might drive to the north of France uh, and drive about once I get there as well. I, I sort of wonder if that's something that that um, you know is there a space in that travel area that's like that is totally different for a company like Boss or for designers that are interested in that to kind of make more of a, an in-flight experience in your own car. Yeah, that's a great idea. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. Write that one down. Write that one down. <laughs> the invoice will be through later. <laughs> yeah, you know, we, we see ourselves, we're a travel business. And, and yeah, I think um, the majority of our work is obviously airline focused. But we're doing increasingly more in, in the hotel space. And, um, you know, hotels um, and is something that's probably going to come back online in terms of numbers. Um, quicker than, than airlines. Um, 
And the reason for that is the regional holidays, you know, like you've just, you've just mentioned there, people can drive and, and take a holiday. Um, or they can get on a ferry and, and, and go to, go to France. Um, but I think they, uh, yeah, you'll see a bit of a resurgence in those those kind of travel experiences. So again, that's an area that we're looking at very much at the moment is, is how this is going to impact hotels, um, what we can offer in terms of products to hotels that makes them feel safe and, and reassures the guests again. Um, a lot of it at the moment is around hygiene, of course. Um, but again, you know, we want to look at the longer term in that space. How does that, how does this change over the next two to five years is the question yeah. that we need to be asking. Just to kind of wrap things up, obviously you're now in Australia, so you've moved from the UK to Australia. It's a common move for lots of people um, in terms of not just design, but generally in life. Um, how have you found it? You've been there 11 years, so you must be enjoying it. Um, what did you expect when you moved over? All that kind of stuff. Was it something that you, you've always wanted to do or did a job just pop up one day or what, what kind of happened? I, I mean, absolutely. It wasn't, a, there was no job. It was... Um... You know, I came in 2009, so it was really in the in the middle of the last recession. Um, and I think that kind of the driving factor for me was was a little bit of that. It was um, it was pretty bleak in the UK. It was it was, um, it was not a great place to be uh, at that time in terms of the, the forecast for the economy. Um, and I think I was you know I was in a job at, at the marketing store as you mentioned earlier, which was. Which was a great place to to cut my teeth as a as a designer, and uh, you know I've only got great things to say about those guys in terms of the the kind of um, the start they gave me in the industry. But you know, just to to be working on projects where you're making uh, in excess of twenty five million products uh, a month um, is <laughs> you don't get many jobs, career starters, where you're working on that volume, and and just to know that your stuff you're working on is, is going to go to in many cases go go through to production. Um, so, you know, it was a great place to learn and, and great bunch of people and, and cool company to work for. But, um, yeah, after a few years there, I, I did want to, I was definitely hungry to move on and do something different. And because of the recession, that didn't look very likely in, in the UK. And, you know, my, my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, um, you know, we came out here together and we sort of made that plan probably... 12 months ahead of time that we were going to, we were going to do it and give it a go. Um, we were going to come for a year and see how it went. And uh, 11 years later and two kids in the, in the house and you sort of, <laughs> you kind of look back and go, yeah, where did, what happened? But um, yeah, it's been an amazing move uh, in summary to, yeah, to, to move to Oz. Um, it, it's given us a great lifestyle. Um, I definitely would, you know, advocate for it and encourage it. I would never um, tell people not to do it. Um, but there's definitely don't assume it's going to be easy. You know, um, it, it's, it's never easy relocating countries. Um, there's a lot of challenges that come in terms of practicalities as well as, uh, you know, emotional challenges that, that you sort of face over the number of years that you're away. Yeah. I've, massive thanks for obviously coming on and, um, and having a chat with us. No worries. Yeah, uh, thank you. Was there, was there anything else you wanted to, through the power of editing? Was there anything else that you wanted to cover off at all or? um no it's been it's been great so thank you to you guys for uh for having me that was enjoyable talking to you all uh good luck you too lovely to meet you cheers big thank you to sam blank for joining us on today's episode 
It's important to hear the experiences of designers all over the globe and their response to the pandemic. As always, a big thank you to you, the listeners, for listening and supporting us. Let us know what you want to hear from us. Contact us on www.designtruth.co.uk or email us at hello at designtruth.co.uk. Catch you on the next one.